What do you do when God gives you special mercies? When you receive special mercies from the Lord, how then do you react? Well, some people might say, well, when God gives me something great, I rejoice. And that's right. Some people like to get their friends together and they like to rejoice with their friends. Let's throw a party. But an a response that we should have, each and of us should have, is to give God the thanks. When God gives us his mercies, we give him the thanks and the praise. That's a very necessary response to praise and thank the Lord. And it is fitting to do that in private. But when God blesses his people in mass, as he did the people of Jerusalem, living in Jerusalem and the surrounding towns, they get together and give him the praise and thanks as a collective body of believers together. And what we're going to find out is that starting at the very end of chapter 7, even through chapter 10, this is all a great portion of worship and praise and thanks to God. So the end of chapter 7, with the giving of these generous uh, donations unto the, to the Lord, up through the uh, chapter 10, end of chapter 10, the people are de- demonstrating manifold expressions of thanksgiving for what the Lord has done for them. So we'll see that in the next at least six Sundays. Remember at the beginning of this book, the people, people didn't have a lot to praise the Lord for, but rather they were in fear. They were in reproach. Why were they in fear and reproach? Because they were like a city without walls, really, or a city with walls that were broken down. And the, the gates were burned with fire, and they were in great danger. And when we say that they were in reproach, some would mock them. Oh, look at these Jews. Some of them would maybe come in and steal from them. Maybe some were even uh, had their life uh, taken from them because of the lack of defenses. So a report was sent all the way back to Nehemiah, who was serving uh, as the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. Not just a king, but an emperor, you could say, the ruler of the entire Persian Empire. And God uh, granted him favor in the sight of the king because Nehemiah prayed, sought the Lord, fasted, and the king granted him permission of 12 years' leave to go and help serve as both governor and wall builder. And we find out at the end of chapter 6 that this wall was repaired in 52 days. God had blessed the building project, the leadership of Nehemiah, and rebuilt that wall in 52 days despite death threats, despite the enemies surrounding them, despite the mocking, despite some even plotting and attempting an assassination for Nehemiah, but this wall was repaired in 52 days. According to uh, Nehemiah 6.16, the enemies surrounding them said that they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So the enemies realized that this work was of God. God was with this people. Chapter 7, the gates are uh, hung, brand new gates with fresh timber are hung. And now they have a, after a period where they, they obtained a census of all the people, now we find out that they're giving God thanks and praise. And we'll see that in today's text. That here we find some models 
for worship that we, we should follow. Today's text will give us some models for worship that we should follow. The first uh, thing that we'll notice is the generous giving to the Lord. Secondly, the exposition of God's word. And thirdly, we'll look at some other models for worship. But let's look at this first main point, generous giving to the Lord. So as we saw at the end of chapter 7, there were some who were giving great, immense wealth uh, for the sake of God and his kingdom. And it wasn't just giving for the wall. It was giving for the sake of the church, uh, or you could say the, the holy temple, the which was the expression of that sanctuary, that place of worship during that time. Um, they had, um, you could tell that this was giving not for the purpose of the temple because many of the giving included the priestly garments, very fine, expensive uh, garments to be used for the sake of holy worship. Now, uh, verses 70 through 71 records of the immense wealth, and that immense wealth was given by Nehemiah the governor, but also by the heads of fathers' households. Um, gold drachmas and silver minas were different types of coins used at the time. Uh, I, I do find it's kind of interesting that Nehemiah gave uh, 50 gold basins or bowls. Um, if you go to Fort Knox or if you go to the, the Federal Reserve in Manhattan, um, they don't store gold in bowls, but they store it as um, Bullion, uh, bullion, or actually big bars, and they stack them together. They make stacks of these bars. But I guess maybe a bowl was something that you could stack rather easily as well. We don't know for sure why uh, gold was, was made into bowls or basins in this thing, but he gave 50 gold basins, which was worth an immense amount of money. But it wasn't just the wealthy people. It wasn't just the governor and the rulers of the households who gave this money. It was the ordinary people. Verse 72. That which the rest of the people gave was 20,000 gold drachmas, 2,000 silver minus, and 67 priests' garments. Now, remember back in chapter 5, there was a famine in the land, and there were some poor in the land. Chapter 5, uh, verse 3. Um, there were probably some poor people who couldn't have given much at all. But I'm sure they could have given linen and maybe their time in making those priestly garments. Um, there was something that everyone could give, I'm sure. Um, if we look back toward the end, uh, it's actually there in your outline, Nehemiah 13, 12. It says that when the tithes and offerings were restored and they were being given more regularly, all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouse. That's the kind of thing that basically anyone and everyone could have given to the Lord. Grain, oil, and wine. And it was given so that the, uh, the Levites and the, and the singers wouldn't have to work in the fields any longer. Instead, they, they could go back to their service in the Holy Temple. Again, if you had an agriculture of people, of people who were in agriculture, um, they were able to give things other than currency, money. They could give uh, wine, um, they can give uh, grain and oil. Now, sometimes it, we have to remember, it's not what we give necessarily, it's the, what's in the heart of the one who gives. We have to give as we are able, 
but we have to give faithfully. But God looks upon the heart, and that's what matters to him, is what is on the heart of a person who gives. Where is the intent of a person's heart when they give? I remember when I was in college, I, um, I lived on three things. I lived on a, a, a scholarship, an honor scholarship that paid all my tuition. I lived off of uh, college loans, and I also lived off of groceries from mom and daddy and, and fuel from mom and daddy and uh, other such things. I had help with clothes and things of that sort, stuff for the apartment or stuff for the dorm room. But it kind of made, you know, that's when I first came into the Presbyterian Church. But I, I kind of, I felt terrible that I couldn't give unto the Lord because I really, really didn't have an income from which to tithe with. And I longed for the day when I could graduate and start earning money so I can give to the work of the church. Because I love the preaching, and I love the church, and I love the work of the church. But that should be our heart's delight. It should be our heart's delight to want to give. It shouldn't be something that's drudgery. It shouldn't be something that we have resentment over. Uh, I wish I didn't have to write this tithe check. It should be something that should be a delight to us. Because you, you see here in today's text, God has blessed us. God has allowed this wonderful grace of him working in us and in this people and this wall being rebuilt in 52 days and even our enemies gathering around us realize that this work was accomplished by the power of God. Therefore, I'm thankful and I'm going to give unto the Lord because he has given this unto us. We have a lot more to remember. What has God given us? Jesus Christ, our Lord, his eternal beloved son, to suffer on a cross and die for our sins, to deliver us from something so far greater than the deliverance of just having this wall and gates put up. He's delivered us from the very power of the evil one and delivered us into the kingdom of his son and given us an eternal glorious inheritance along with all the saints. So therefore, why should we not give? But one thing, another matter that they were very thankful for is that the people of Judah were especially thankful for the immense blessing of having God's holy word. And we'll see here that there was the exposition of God's word, that really beautiful sign of God's grace. Let's look at uh, the next main point, the exposition of God's word. Nehemiah 8, starting at verse 1. All the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Israel, the, then, I, then Ezra the, the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. And on the first day of the seventh month, He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose. Now, what exactly was read? Here it says in verse 1, the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Now, whenever we hear the book of the law of Moses, 
that often means the entire Torah. Um, that would be the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, if you had to read the entire Torah nonstop, I, I found out on this one website, and it's, it's, if you ever want to research this, it's called howlongtoread.com. It says the average reader reading at 300 words per minute would take six hours and 32 minutes to read the entire Torah. That's without pauses. That's without uh, a break. I don't know. Now, the question is, did Nehemiah do all the reading or did all the guys standing to his right and his left help with the reading as well? Maybe he, he was helped by some of these other people. We don't know. And did he skip some of those long, uh, those long genealogies and things? Like at the first chapter of Numbers, um, I'm sure some of you wished I would have skipped that long, uh, that long census uh, in my last sermon. You know, we don't know. But there's some indication that maybe he, he could, it would have been difficult to read constantly from beginning to end. But notice this. The Hebrew word that's translated from early morning, it's actually from the light. That's what it means, and it's literally from the light. So they started reading when the sun came up and read till noon. Now, that's, you know, that's you know, close to six and a half hours, but that would have to be starting at 5.30 a.m. Um, wow. How is it? humanly possible when it says even here that they all gave attention to the reading you think you would get distracted after the first two hours right <laughs> maybe after the first 45 minutes but it says here that god gave them a, to a, an ability to attend now maybe next time my sermons go over 40 minutes maybe don't say so much right <laughs> this is a really long time of teaching um one time I, I a deacon and i were at a church in new jersey and please forgive me if i have already told this before but we went up to our pastor and we told the pastor we said we have a problem with your preaching and he looked at us kind of with a, a mean face or an upset face and we both looked at him and said your preaching is too short and then he went from looking angry or upset to being having a big smile on his face, because that was true. Um, his preaching was delightful. It seems like there was very few words wasted. And that, when you have good preaching, it's more delightful, isn't it? But notice here, um, in this very long period of study, and I guess you, you really could call it preaching, but it's really reading of the word with exposition. Um, notice that the babies and young toddlers were not present for the reading and teaching. Now, I do believe it's a good practice to get young children to learn to sit in church and to sit quietly and try to pay attention. But, you know, there, there are reasons why we, a church should have a nursery. I think today's text is a good model, a good model for us for why a church should have a nursery. Because... Honestly, it's not more spiritual to have a baby in worship. I mean, you should try if you could, but it's not something that you're, you're super Christian if you can keep your baby in worship the entire time. Um, in fact, you know, they didn't get those babies in this particular hearing of God's Word because 
they couldn't understand. You really can't grow in grace by God's word unless you have some understanding. Now, when uh, it says here that, again, it's twice in verse 2 and verse 3, it emphasizes that the teaching was for the men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. And those who heard the reading of the word of God, they say, it says that they were attentive to the book of the law. When we had our first child in church, uh, we kept a baby in the church. We kept Hannah in the church as a baby. And at times it was difficult on us and it was difficult on her. And I tell you what, our attention to the word suffered immensely. Because we were so stressed out on keeping her quiet or you know, whatever, trying to train her. When really we were just, it had been better for us just to let her have a good time in the nursery and play with some other kids, wouldn't it have been? So there's a call for a church to have a nursery. And I think today is one of the chief texts in all of Scripture that would indicate that. Now, this wasn't merely a long reading. There was some exposition or explanation along with the translation for some present. Look at verses, um, well actually uh, it talks about a, a group of folks here explained the law in verses uh, 7 through 8. They explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating it to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Verse 7 says that explanation was involved, explaining the law to the people. And that's why our church seeks to follow that. We're not just about reading Scripture, but we want people to come to an understanding of what it means. We want you to understand uh, what it is in context. What does this passage mean to us in context? Memorization of the Bible is great, but it's better to memorize Scripture with an understanding of how it applies and that's even far better. Now, some present here, listening to this very long reading, could not understand what was being said in the original Hebrew. And we'll look at, um, we'll look at why it had to be translated. Keep your place at chapter 8, but we're going to see about turning to uh, 13, chapter 13, to see an explanation of why. Nehemiah 13, verse 23. It says, In those days I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, half spoke in the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. The language of his own people. So it was because of intermarriage why many of them could not understand the reading in the Hebrew. They had married uh, people um, from other, um, actually other nations, married people of other religions even, which was something that God was not pleased with. As we look at um, today's text, we'll see that there are other models for worship as well. Um, 
notice that there was a great love and reverence for God's word. The people, it says, were the ones who gathered in verse 1 to approach Ezra to tell him, we want to hear the word read. Can you read it unto the people? They gathered together as one man asking for that word to be read unto them. So the whole, the whole instigation for this, you could say, it didn't come from the, the top, didn't come from leadership, but came from all of the people having a thirst and a desire to grow and understand God's holy word. God wants you to have a similar thirst for Holy Scripture. Pray that God would give such people to our church as well. That our church would be one that thirsts after a greater understanding, a greater knowledge, a greater grasp of all that God has written. Now, the power of the Holy Spirit can take people from this community. People who are apathetic, people who are skeptics or even disinterested whatsoever in anything to do with God. And God can take people like that and change them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he can change people and make them go from that to someone who wants to hear the word of God. Maybe you, some of you have a testimony of that sort. How you didn't care to hear the things of the Lord. You didn't care for the, for the church. But God had given you a great thirst and love for God and his holy word. The first step in that process is that a person must embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to have a saving relationship with God. And using the words of Matthew 28, one must first believe that Jesus is both Christ and Lord, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto him, that he is absolute Lord of all, that he is the Savior of the world, that he is to be a person who believes upon him, is to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But then the life of the disciple is not just to say, well, I believe on Jesus and I've been baptized. What's the life of the disciple? Then they are to observe all things that Christ has commanded. I heard something on Christian radio last night that got me very upset. Um, this one uh, person who was talking, they, sometimes they have a, a radio spot for maybe about... Uh, maybe two minutes, and they, they give you a little, sh- very brief Bible lesson. Um, guy's name was Ron. He said, Jesus is not interested about rules. Jesus wants a relationship. Well, he said some other things, but basically he was, he was divorcing rules or what God's law from a relationship with Christ. In other words, all you need is a relationship. You don't have to, you don't have to, it's legalism to have to follow a rule. Well, what did Jesus say? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Well, yeah, I, I think we, we do fail in keeping rules. We do. But if you love God, you will seek to obey his law. Those who love him seek to obey him. You can't separate Jesus from the law of God. It's a total distortion. But the people's reverence for the word of God, 
they it was shown here by the posture that they had when the word of God was read. It says when in verse 5, when Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people st- stood up. Now, this passage here gives us a little bit of a background why we have this, why we keep a wooden pulpit in a church, because we, we, we see it modeled for us here in, the, in this particular passage. A, um, a, a podium of wood, as some translations have it. But you notice that when Ezra read, he stood above all the people. The people were standing, but even while he was, they were standing, he was standing, Ezra was above the people. And why do we have a, a pulpit placed in an elevated position in the church in the first place? It's because it's, it's symbolic of the truth that God's word is above us. We are to be placed under the word. We are to be submissive to the word of God. And the reason is God is having his word reign over us because he has exalted his word. And we'll see that in two little passages here. Psalm 138, in your outline, God says, You have magnified your word according to all your name. A, a beautiful little gem in Isaiah 42, 21. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to make the law great and glorious. His word, his law is great and glorious. And when God speaks to us by his word, we are to place ourselves beneath God in that sense, to submit our hearts and minds, to place the desires of our hearts and our minds beneath the word. What God says comes first. What I say or my friend says or my neighbor says comes second. Place yourself under the word that God is to be supreme in in the authority in your life. Notice that when the book of the law was open, all the people stood up in verse 5. And we added that practice recently to this church. That when God's word is read before the preaching of the word, that we, we stand to give heed or to give honor and respect to the holy word of the Lord. Now, I know some readings can be long, like last Sunday. But when we stand to hear the reading of God's holy word, uh, it, it can't be nearly as long as what this people did. Now, I, I do question whether or not they stood the entire time for that five or six hours. That might be a little bit excessive, don't you think? But um, uh, one other case, before I forget this thought, one other case of that the fact that maybe it wasn't an entire uh, unabridged reading is that there, were, there was translation going on. There was explanation going on and if there's pauses for translation and explanation i don't see how they could have gotten through the entire torah even in that in that period of time but notice here also there was a great reverence for god in prayer verse six it says ezra blessed the lord the great god ezra blessed the lord the great great god now i believe here He led a prayer, exalting God. The prayer was exalting and blessing the name of God. Now, when we read about this, so-and-so blessed the Lord. We can't add blessing to God. 
we can't give blessing to God. To bless the Lord, in this sense, is something that is spoken of, I believe, in Hebrews 7, 7. Without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. We are lesser than God. We cannot bless him and increase his blessedness because God is the all-blessed one. So therefore, what he's talking about here is when he blessed the Lord, he's talking about God being the, the, the utter source of all blessing. He is the absolute blessed one. To tell others of his blessedness is what is going on here. The same thing when it says in Isaiah 42, give glory to the Lord, Isaiah says. We can't add glory to God. We can't give glory to the all-glorious one. But... We can tell of his glory. We can praise him for his glory. We can exalt his holy name. Lift it up as glorious. That's what it means to bless the Lord or to glorify God or give glory to God. So Ezra's prayer here continues with all the people answering, Amen, Amen, while they were lifting their hands and they were bowing down low before the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, some of us don't feel comfortable with raising our hands in worship, and we might say, well, that, that's not this church. It's, it's a type, that's for, the, that's for the charismatic church. Well, well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says here that it wasn't just the leaders. It was all the people who raised their hands in worship, lifted their hands in worship. Now, a couple other passages to look at is Psalm 134.2. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. 1 Timothy 2.8. I want men in every place, not just leaders, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Now, two things to notice from verse 6 here. I don't think it was just a willy-nilly thing. I think it was something done in unison. Um, I've, I've seen other Presbyterian churches where people raise their hands during a doxology or something of that sort. Now, the other thing is, is that they prayed and they all gave an amen, an amen, a double amen in unison as well. Now, there's something to say here for a liturgical practice, and, and that one gives us some models for that. But ultimately, when we look at today's text, there are some models for worship. These models are things that we should imitate. If you're thankful for what God has done for you, especially through Jesus Christ, give him the thanks. How do you give him thanks according to today's text? Worship him. Give generously to him. Seek to hear his word, to understand his word, not just to know it, but to understand it. Ask God for a thirst, a greater thirst and desire for his holy word. Preaching should always be instructive in bringing us to a greater understanding. It's my prayer that when you hear the preaching, you leave this place understanding more of what God's holy word says. But lastly, there are other models for worship, models for reverence. That God's word is holy that we are to be placed beneath the word, that we are to exalt God most high, that we are to reverence the word. We stand and give respect and honor to God's holy word. 
and we praise him and we thank him and we bless his holy name. We glorify him for he is the source of all blessedness and truth. Now, sadly, a lot of times we forget these things. We forget the magnitude of what God has done for us. God has done something so far greater than rebuilding a wall for us. He has given us entry into his eternal abode through Jesus our Lord. He caused his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die and to suffer the very pains of hell for our sins. He caused his son to remain under the power of death for a time, to then exalt him and raise him up for all to see. He then witnessed and taught for a period of 40 days, and then was then he ascended into heaven, where he makes perpetual intercession for the saints. God has given us even his Holy Spirit, his comforter, to give us his peace, that we are never alone. So what do you do? How do you live? You live by giving him thanks. You live by giving him the praise, by thirsting after his word, by worshiping him. A thankful person desires to worship the Lord. Let's pray for that endeavor. Well, God, we pray that you would give us a greater heart for worship, a greater desire to go to your house, to sit at the feet of Jesus as his word is preached unto us. Lord, we pray that we would hear your word, we would believe your word, that your word would transform our lives, that our desires would be placed second, that your intent for our lives to grow in grace would be placed as first. Lord, help us, we pray, to have a greater thirst for your holy word. Help us, we pray, to have a greater thirst to be in your house, to give you the praise, to bless your holy name, to exalt your holy name. Lord, we pray that you would help us in all of these things to exalt and lift up Jesus Christ for all to see. Lord, help us, we pray, to put our faith in him, to trust in him as the only means of salvation and our only hope for eternal life. For we ask all these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.